You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. And he says it like this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above anything that we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us through him, right? And so we see this beautiful passage where God actually gives us a promise that he wants to do more, but not just more like more than what we're used to right now, exceedingly more, more than we can ask or imagine. And so the first week of this series, I just kind of briefly talked about this idea of how many of us are bad, have bad imaginations, like we don't have these grandiose imaginations because God's calling us into this place of, of opening up our imagination. If you say, listen, exceedingly more than you can imagine, you've got to have an imagination. You've got to be able to dream with God because he wants to do more than that. And then I talked about this. Some of us are just bad askers. I'm a bad asker. There's one thing left on the plate. You're at a restaurant with a group of people. You know, sometimes if you're with me, that will just sit on the table. The waiter will come and take it off the table. Why? Because you're afraid to ask for the last one if it's an uneven amount. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, listen, that's me. I'm a bad asker. But God fixes both of these problems for us to bring us into our full fulfillment, into this more. He says, listen, by the power that's at work within me that I'm giving to you, I'm going to begin to do some things that are exceedingly above what you can even ask, so don't worry about it, or imagine, allow me to dream with you, through you. I'm going to blow your mind, basically, is what God's going to say. And so this became the, the, the foundational stone on which we built this series on, of saying, God, we, we, we hear this beautiful promise, and we want the more, but how do we get there? How do we get there? It's not enough just to say this over and over again, but we have to have some steps. And I believe in this same prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3 that God actually gave us four steps to help us get into the more. And we started the first week about knowing God personally. I'm sorry, some of you have heard me say this every week, but it's good to hear again. In Ephesians 3 verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and to know God personally, it starts with the salvation of receiving Him as your Lord and Savior, as the one who reached down into your sin and pulled you out through the sacrifice of His body and His blood, the gift at the cross. Knowing that He overcame, that death couldn't hold Him down, and because death couldn't hold Jesus down when we place our faith in Him, then neither can death hold you down, and that means sin can't hold you down either. It starts there, but it doesn't stop there. Knowing God personally is not just about a one-and-done experience where maybe you came up to an altar or you prayed a prayer as a little child. It starts there, and those are valuable, valuable foundational steps, but it also involves us allowing God to be our healer. Because when Jesus gave his life for us, he didn't just give it so that we would have fire insurance. He gave it so that we would have life. And so we have to allow Jesus to heal our heart and to heal our head. That he wants to take our broken heart and our broken thinking. He wants to heal it. But then we, we finish this thought up about knowing God personally. And it also means us coming into his family, which is a powerful truth. Because the idea for many of us, family has been broken or disintegrated or is a bad picture. Something we want to stay away from. But God says this in Romans 8. He says, listen, I've given you through this gift of salvation the gift of adoption. I'm pulling you into my family, and if you'll come under my headship, what I'm going to do is allow you to do something very intimate, which is call me Abba, 
Father, which means Daddy God. And that's what it means to know God personally, to walk with him personally. It's not a one-and-done experience. It's something that happens all your life, and you grow in a greater and greater dimension of it every day. You should be. We should be. But then we talked about the second step, which is to be free, to be free. That God didn't just come and get us out of the, the bondage of our sin, but he really wants us to be free people on this earth. Not, our freedom is not reserved for the day we breathe our last breath and we go into eternity with him. We can have freedom on this earth today. And in verse 18, chapter 3 in Paul's prayer, he says that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This happens in the context of community, that we become free. James 5, 17 says that as we confess our sins one to another, we become whole. We don't get saved by confessing our sins one to another. We get whole. We get free. What if I were to tell you this morning again to say, listen, some of the reasons why you struggle going back and forth in your freedom is maybe you're not in the context of community. Amazing. The pastor's cell phone goes off. That's unbelievable. All right. Y'all get a hall pass. Y'all get a pass, all right? Just understand if it happens to me, it can happen to you. Sorry. It happens in the context of community. You know why? It's because we're supposed to carry one another's burdens. We're supposed to speak the truth in love, and speaking the truth in love is a scary thing unless that you're in community and you love one another. When somebody's down, we're supposed to reach down and pick them up. We're supposed to prefer the weaker. All these things speak to freedom. But can I show you something else that's really cool? In Exodus chapter 6, and this is God's heart, because when he looked at the Israelites who were in captivity in Egypt for 400 years, he said this to Moses before he delivered them out of Pharaoh's rule. He speaks this and says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them. Do you hear that? Because this is God's heart and why the second step is so important to be free. Because what God said is this. He says, listen, I'm going to get you out of the captivity. And it's a wonderful thing to be free. To know that somebody is not going to whip you and beat you if you mess up. To know that your, your day tomorrow is going to be a day of freedom. That's a wonderful thing. But God also knew that over 400 years, these Israelites, they weren't just slaves they begin to think like slaves. And that's a problem, and it translates down to us today. And this is the reason why God makes us free, and only Jesus can make us free indeed. It's because even when we come into the salvation experience, sometimes we can still live according to the patterns of our past. And there's nothing worse than having the full benefits of a son or a daughter but living like a slave. If you don't believe me, read the prodigal story. Look at the older brother. But this is what God says, and this is what he says again in, in Ephesians 3, verse 18. But God spoke this to Moses and said, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to get you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to also free you from being slaves to them. Because I'm calling you someplace. And then we talked about our third step last week, which is to, to be fulfilled, that God makes us fulfilled. And isn't it interesting that we can't be fulfilled until we're free? And that freedom comes when we know him personally. See the batting order? Starts with having a relationship with him, and then it comes to walking in freedom, and then we understand fulfillment. And what is fulfillment? See, we're going to seek to be fulfilled by something. It's within us. We were created that way. But the only thing that will really fulfill us is understanding our part in the body of Christ. 
what we are at an A-plus at, what God designed you to be the very best at. And believe it or not, some of you don't even believe that about yourself. And I just want to take a second and say, listen, that's, that's just a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. See, when God created you, he knew when he was going to put you on the earth, and he knew what he designed you for, and it was to do something powerful that only you could do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we talked about how God fit the body together that he doesn't give preference against, he doesn't value the mouth over the thumb or the thumb over the toe or the toe over the armpit. And the body doesn't fight. Inside of that, they don't seek that. But when something is weaker, they reach down and they, and they prefer what is weaker. And it's this beautiful picture of how we're supposed to walk in fulfillment. And it can be summed up like this. When we understand that we were designed to be an A-plus at something, you'll begin to have value. And as you use your value to serve somebody else, you will find fulfillment. Listen, hear that, please. Because it's not just simply about you finding out what you are amazing at and what you're designed for, but using that to bless somebody. And this is why the body of Christ is the only place that brings true fulfillment. Because what will happen is we'll seek to fill that void with stuff, with people, with position, and it's never enough. It always falls short. But when we say, God, this is what, and understand, and the Holy Spirit gives us a little bit of revelation, this is what you created me to be. And you begin to use that to serve somebody else, you begin to find true fulfillment. That's why here we have the growth track to help you find that. And in the back this morning, there is a sign-up for that. It's four weeks. Some of you have been through it. But on the third week, something amazing happens. We talk about what we're about as a church. We talk about our vision of the church. We talk about some of the foundational things you got to have. We are a spirit-filled church. There are certain things we believe. That's okay if you're not there, but it's who we are. But on the third week, we say, listen, we're going to help you find out what you are an A-plus at. We take some of these just simple things, some, a little a few tests, but these things that help uncover what you're an A-plus at. And, and here's why I'm telling you this. Because if you stop at freedom and you don't step into fulfillment, you're not getting to the more. God wants you to go to the more. And so what you have to do is you have to keep taking a step. So some of you have drank from the cup of freedom and you've got it. Now it's time to take a step in the cup of fulfillment. And today we're finishing up this series by talking about the final cup, which is making a difference. And this is where we come back around to verse 20 in this prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. It comes full circle. And we encounter it when we make a difference, the God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And really the, the main message today is go for it. Go for it. When you know there's nothing like living a life where you have a personal, intimate relationship with God. You walk as a free person. You understand what makes you fulfilled and then going for it. Then going for it. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Going back, and I need to go back to Exodus where God spoke to Moses. And the reason why is because each one of these four things can actually be seen if we were to celebrate a Passover Seder with a Jewish family. If we were to sit down around Easter and celebrate a Passover Seder with a Jewish family, they would drink from four cups. And they're all found in Exodus 6, 6 through 8. But the last cup 
would be called the cup of praise. And this is what we're calling it to make a difference. And I want to show you this. If I can read this to you, and it should be on the screen. Exodus 6, 7, and 8. God spoke this to Moses and said, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you into a land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is the cup of praise and this is what God spoke to Moses and this is what God spoke to to the church, to us in Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do exceedingly more. This is the cup of praise. And what this cup literally means is hallel. The cup of praise means hallel. It's where we get our word hallelujah from. But let me tell you what the word hallel means. So the next time you say hallelujah, you get a better context for it. And it becomes a deeper revelation for you. Hallel means to celebrate, to boast, or rave as an exclamation of victory after one has experienced a level of fulfillment. See, hallel or praise is not a one-time thing. It's not a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night thing. Hallel is a lifestyle. And this is what God is asking us in the final cup he's asking us to drink from, to say, listen, as we choose to drink from this cup of praise, we're allowing the testimony of God to become something that comes out of us as praise. What's interesting about this, this final cup here is that it serves a value here on earth today, but it also has a prophetic implication. When all things are said and done at the marriage supper of the Lamb, after all things have been settled, the scripture tells us that we'll sit down and we'll celebrate and we'll drink from this cup of praise again. And what does that mean for us? It has a very significant value for us. It means this, that God is a God of completion. And it begins to radiate this powerful truth that when God gives us something, when he sets a promise in our hearts, when he gives that to us, he completes it. So this cup of praise that we drink from, we drink from today as we step out and we make a difference, but we'll drink from it again with Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So how do we make a difference? A couple of things I want to just throw out here as questions to you as we get started. Knowing that you're ready to make a difference. How do you know that you're ready to make a difference? The first question you have to ask is this. I want to encourage you to write these down. They're very simple but powerful questions if you can answer them honestly in your heart. What do you have to give? What do you have to give? One of my favorite passages in the Gospels comes in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, when Jesus takes a ragtag group of, of disciples, folks that have been following him and didn't know nothing from nothing. They were truly green. And he looks at him, he's like, I'm about to send you out. And you can just imagine the look of bewilderment on the disciples' faces as they're kind of going, what? Uh, I don't think we're ready. Like, we're good fishermen, we're average fishermen, but you want us to go do what? I want you to go preach the kingdom. I want you to go tell the good news. And Jesus gives them this statement in Matthew 10, 8. He says, freely you receive, freely give. Jesus sets a principle in place that is life-changing for every one of us begins to show us that we truly have something to give. I can say it like this. You can't give what you don't have. But Jesus says it better than that. 
He says the areas of your heart that have been impacted by him, and, and every one of us, we've, we've had a taste of God's goodness, of the love of Jesus, but it's affected us differently. Some of you, when you came to Jesus, you had an encounter with his peace that shifted your life. And that's the freedom that you have to give out. Some of you, when you came to Christ, you encountered the true freedom that breaks every addiction, and that's what you have to give. Freely you've received, freely of his spirit. And what Jesus was asking the disciples there to do was not just to go and pass out flyers about who this Jesus was, but was to testify about who this man that was claiming to be Messiah was and why he was Messiah. See, they had tasted of the freedom that Jesus and only Jesus could give. And Jesus was looking at him and saying, did you taste something from me? And they said, yes. Freely you received it, freely give it. And you know what that does for every one of us? Is that it enables every one of us. It empowers every one of us. It makes every one of us able to make a difference. Why? Because if Jesus has touched your life, then you have something to give. You have something to give. But for some of you, it's very specific the way that you feel Jesus moving in your heart. You felt the wonderful love of the Father. You felt the encouragement of God. Freely you've received, freely give. That's the first question. What do you have to give? The second question is, where is your heart drawn to? Where is your heart drawn to? Throughout the Gospels, this one powerful thing keeps keeps coming up through Jesus' ministry, especially when he interacted with people in mass crowds. And in Matthew 9, 36, we see it. But it says this, Jesus was drawn with compassion. And this is a con- collision of, of his divinity and his humanity. And it's so important for us to see because Jesus was giving us actually a model on how to make a difference by understanding this key question of where, what our heart is drawn to. See, when Jesus looked at the crowds, what he saw was sheep without a shepherd. He saw them and he said, listen, I can't help but go. And I can promise you this, that for every person here, there is something that will either break your heart or motivate your heart or get you going. And it's important to pay attention to that because as you do, you're figuring out a key on how you've been created to make a difference. I told you last week, my wife is wired that if a kid doesn't have shoes, she will go, she, she wants every kid to have shoes. That's why I own a lot of shoes. I'm just kidding. Some of you are wired for that. Some of you can't stand situations that exist with with children. Some of you can't stand situations that exist with women who are abused and broken. Some of you can't uh, handle the injustice that you see, and your heart is drawn to it, and it causes you to cry. And I want to tell you, don't ignore those things. See, because in this collision of Jesus' divinity and his humanity, what he was doing is saying this. Andy, every one of you, if you choose to be led by the Holy Spirit, and as you choose to walk in the world, what you're going to see is you're going to see light encountering darkness. But if you will listen to the way that you were wired, and I've wired you, and what is drawing on your heart, that is a place to make a difference. Don't shun that off. Don't push that off. Don't push that away. Listen to it. Because if you can answer that question and understand clearly Where your heart is drawn to, I promise you, it is a key to where you're going to make a difference. The third question is this. Do you see the bigger plan? Do you see the bigger plan? Question one, what do you have to give? Question two, where is your heart drawn to? Third question, do you you see the bigger plan? 
when it comes to making a difference, it is never about me, myself, and I. It is never me. It is always we. It's always we. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, Paul says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes all things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. What's Paul saying? Paul isn't minimalizing his, his ability to make a difference. He understood it quite clearly. He understood what God had called him to do to make a difference and where his heart was drawn to. He was drawn to the Gentiles. He knew he was called to that, and he knew he carried a message of revelation of how they were grafted into Jesus Christ. But here's what Paul is saying. He said, listen, it's not about me. It's about him. And if you truly want to make a difference, you have to answer, be able to answer this question. Because what it does is it stops the pattern of the world when it comes to understanding how we make a difference in this world. Everything we see and everything we watch on TV, from sports to music to, to politicians even, unfortunately, is a very, very self-serving thing. And the pattern of this world says in order to make a difference, you've got to be number one, and it's got to be about you, but the body of Christ is totally different. So in order to make a difference, you have to understand what you have to give. You have to understand where your heart's drawn to, but you have to also understand that this is a team sport. You have to see the bigger plan. Do you see people that God's connecting into? Or are you allowing them to come in beside you and to serve alongside you to make a difference in where God's called you? Because I can promise you, you won't be able to do it alone. You're going to need people beside you. Three areas that we're called to make a difference. Very quick. Three areas. The first area we're called to make a difference is in our contribution. It makes sense. It's what we naturally seek for. But in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, great passage here. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, every one of us has been called to make a difference in our contribution. And it's in the context of the calling that God has called us to. Your contribution is found in the calling that God has called you to. The race that God has marked out for you. And when you see that, and when you see that, and when you see where your fulfillment is found, what you're to do and what we do is we set our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because in him, he perfects the race. He enables us. He empowers us to run the race that we're called to, called to run. And by doing that, what happens is this. We begin to make a contribution. We begin to make a contribution. Last year, um, I ran in this race uh, called the Savage Race, and I'm, I'm actually running in it again uh, next weekend. It's six miles, has 25 obstacles, and it's just stupid. It's muddy. 
You crawl under barbed wire. You even, can I tell you this? Listen, I'm we even crawled under like these uh, lightly electrocuted things. Like, you, you know, and you jump over fire. And here's what I realized. I'm deeply, deeply inadequate. I'm super inadequate when it comes to this. Like, I didn't have the cardio to run six miles. I did not have the strength to pull myself up over things. I found myself falling down a lot of times. But here's what I understood. And here's what made it possible is I had a teammate. I had a teammate who was in much better shape than me. I had a teammate that kept telling me he would look up and he would see the mile markers before me. And instead of saying, hey, we just finished one mile, he would say, only a few more miles to go. He would lie to me, basically. (laughs) On the obstacles where I couldn't get over, what he would do is he would boost me up first. On the obstacles I couldn't climb the rope, he would get up first and he would pull me up. He would encourage me. What did he do? Is that he enabled me to make a contribution in this this small, silly race that I ran that really doesn't amount for anything. But here's really what is so cool about it is that at the very end when I crossed the finish line, we crossed together. My friend could have crossed way, way, way before me. But when we crossed the finish line, you know what we were greeted with? Not, hey, that was really slow. We were given a medal. And I want to tell you something. I know this is just a silly, silly race, and some of you have done these races before, and we do them just because we like them or we like to feel good, whatever. But I put that medal around my neck like I had won the Olympics. I felt like I should have been up on a podium like number one. Let's listen to the national anthem while I hold up my arm. Listen, in our contribution, understand this. There's a race that God marked out for you. And here's the thing is that if you run this race, you're going to receive a great reward. You're going to receive a great reward. But you can't do it alone. You've been called to make a difference in your contribution. There's a race marked out for you, but you can't do it alone. You need to be in the body. You need to have people around you, and you need, listen, please, please listen, you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. See, because here's something this scripture says very powerfully. It says, listen, there's, there's going to be times you're going to want to be tangled up with stuff, with your past, with hardships, with all these things. Listen, hardships hit everybody, but the scripture goes back and says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who endured the scorn and the shame of the cross. And he didn't get weary. So you also, not because you're trying to live up to that, because you're allowing the Holy Spirit that caused Christ to overcome dwell in you, you're going to overcome too. You're not going to get weary either. See, that enables us to make a contribution. Second place we need to make a difference is in our community. In our community, in both, and I'm speaking both the body of Christ and I'm speaking also of your local community, your neighborhood. I'm not going to go into that very much because we talked about that last week. And if, again, if you missed that, pick up that CD or listen to that podcast. But you have been fitted into the body. And you've been called to make a difference here. Because as you choose to make a difference in the body of Christ, as you choose to be what God has called you to be and to serve others, the scripture says this, that you're actually pushing everybody up into the maturity of Christ Jesus. You're not just doing a job. Listen, if you're serving in this church or this isn't your church and you serve in another church, I'll make you this promise. And you're just doing a job, I want you to come talk to me after service because I'm going to fire you and then I'm going to figure out what you're an A-plus at 
and I'm going to get you in the right spot. Okay? But if you're in this house and you're just doing a job, I want you to stop. Because what I want you to do is I want you to find out what you're an A-plus at so you can make a difference in the context of community. The third area is through our celebrations, our testimonies. Testimonies. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, it says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Listen, as we choose to make a difference in our life, in our contribution, and in our community, what happens is there are going to be testimonies. And we carry the testimonies, and we carry those testimonies into the world, and there is a reason why. Because the Scripture says they're an aroma. They're an aroma that brings life, and they're an aroma even, listen, that reminds people that their life is stuck in a pattern of death and to pull them out of that place. We carry that, and we should celebrate that. You should celebrate the testimonies in your life. You should carry them and seek to make a difference through them. So finally, as we wrap this up, Justin, come on up, bud. How do we do it? How do we put it all together? A couple of things. We do it by faith. That's way too general for what we need right now. So let me break this down just a little bit more. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's this amazing chapter that God puts in there to show that he uses ordinary people because it's an all-star cast of who's who in faith. Read about men and women who did amazing things that made a difference. But you know what? They were just ordinary people like you and I. But they chose to believe God by faith, and God allowed them to do supernatural things. And I think one of the reasons why we actually read about these people, and it's interesting that their stories have been carried over into the New Testament, and we see them there again on how to walk by faith, is so that we can learn something from their lives, something that can help us and empower us to make a difference. So just a couple of things, really fast. How we put it all together. In order to make a difference, you, number one, you have to move past the fear of man. You have to move past the fear of man. The fear of man is fearing what man thinks more than what God has called you to. What's going to happen if I step out and try to make a difference? What are people going to think? I remember being in high school and thinking that all the time. I felt God so strong all over me. I had just this deep, real encounter with the love of God. But I thought, man, listen, if I step out and begin to live for Jesus, what are my friends going to think for me? And here's a sad thing. As adults, we're older and we've got things established. Sometimes that fear doesn't leave us. And so it keeps us quiet when God tells us to speak. It keeps us timid when God tells us to move. And see, here's one of the things that we learn, and we learn this from Noah in, in Hebrews chapter 11. See, because Hebrews 11, 7 says this, By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, here's what's amazing and beautiful about this passage. Because we know several things that Noah built this in spite of being ridiculed. Noah built the ark in spite of being rejected, in spite of looking like a fool to everybody around him. But the scripture says this, that he did it because he had 
holy fear to God, meaning this, he feared God more than he feared the fear of man. And by doing so, he did something very powerful. And it seems, it seems harsh, but I want you to hear it. It says, by doing so, he condemned the world. What did he condemn? He condemned the God of this world that tries to trap us in the fear of man. And there's very few times that we see one single act that is a bridge in the Bible. Let me explain that really quick. With Adam, we see a bridge. In his sin, it brought sin into humanity. In Jesus Christ, we see the best bridge. Because through his act and his selfless act of the cross, he redeemed humanity. But we also see a bridge in Noah. Because that ark became a covenant of God's promise for creation to say, I still love you, man, from God's mouth. And he said that. And in this movement where, in this one move where, where Noah in obedience rejected the fear of man and he became obedient to the fear of God, he made a difference to establish the covenant for you and for I, me. You see that? Number two, don't be afraid to step out and go. Don't be afraid to step out and go. In Hebrews eleven eight, we see this through Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How amazing. I think this is the one thing that I see that stops folks from making a difference so much is that they're really, really afraid to step out and go. You know what God's called you to. Step out and go. What's going to happen and I do? You know what? I don't know. But I know the one who's promised, who promised you is faithful. And I also know this. This whole irrational fear of mistakes, making mistakes, is nonsense. Because the one who called you, the Bible says this, is a very powerful thing. That his gifts and his callings are without repentance. Meaning he doesn't remove those off of you. So even if you stepped out, and maybe, and maybe you just got it a little bit wrong, but yet you trusted God, and you stepped out into something, and you realize, well, it wasn't quite there. I'm going to get back. Instead of being afraid to step out, step out again. Why? Because the one who promised is still faithful to do it. He didn't rescind the promise because you stepped out wrong. He's big enough for your mistakes. Step out and go. Step out and go. The third thing. Keep your eyes fixed on the promise, not the process. Abraham also teaches us this. In Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise, the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. This was a powerful encounter that Abraham had to face when God said, march up that mountain and take Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. See, God understood that it was never his intent to sacrifice Isaac. That's why he had a ram in the thicket. But here's what he wanted Abraham to do, is not get lost on the process but to keep his eyes on the promise and the one who promised. See, because the scripture tells us this, that Abraham considered he 
who had given the promised son Isaac in his old age to him and Sarah, but didn't just give him a son. Listen, it wasn't just about Isaac. He said, I'm going to make you the father of a nation like the sands on the sea. God, I, God, I got up and I went to the country you called me to, but now you're saying, come on, what? Scripture says that Abraham considered the one who had promised, who had given the promise, faithful to the point that he would resurrect his son. You know what God saw in Abraham? Somebody who trusted the one who promised and trusted the promise more than the process. If you're going to make a difference, you have to trust the promise. You have to keep your eyes on the promise and not the process. Why? There's going to be knocks in the process. There's going to be things that you're going to hit that are going to feel like walls when you step out to make a difference. But if you keep your eyes on the promise, you will not fail. Because the one who's promised is faithful. Number four, we only got two more. Never give in to fear. Never give in to fear. This is what Moses teaches us in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Listen to this, please. Because he saw him who is invisible. Wow. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. And listen, that's just a word of the Lord for some of you here this morning. We're thinking about stepping out. You're stepping out. You're you're pursuing something God's called you to. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. Anchor yourself in the love of God. The scripture tells us that the perfect love of the Father drives out, casts out fear. Push in to the love of God. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. Resist fear. I'd even be as bold to say this, that if some of you are facing fear today, when it, if it specifically pertains to you stepping out and making a difference, understand, understand this, that you're on the right course. Push into the love of God and keep going. Push into the love of God and keep going. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning. The last one is this, is that our past does not dictate our future. The greatest lie the enemy will tell you in order to make a difference, some of you are on the cusp of stepping out to make a difference, and they're going to say, hey, enemy's going to whisper in your ear, you know who you are, you know what you've done, don't let your past dictate your future. And this is one I love probably the most. Rahab teaches us this. In Hebrews 11.31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab stop. God wasn't including the word prostitute in there to demean Rahab. He was including it in here because he wanted us to see something. That when you choose to look past your past and not let your past dictate your future, and you step out to make a difference in faith, you're going to do something. Because here's, here's the word of the Lord for you if that's you. The thing you're afraid of in your past, if you'll walk through it understanding what God's called you to be, I can promise you there's somebody in your future that needs to know that you overcame whatever you overcame in your past and is going to set them free too. <laughs> I love this one because it's, the, it's probably the numero uno lie of the devil. He looks at you and he goes, you can't do it because you failed. You're a failure. And here's what you got to say back. Hey, Hebrews 11.31, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed 
with those who were disobedient. She honored God. She saw past her past. She recognized this opportunity to make a difference. She sensed what God was doing. And instead of saying, I'm just a prostitute, I just have failures, I can't step out and do this, she said, I'm going to go for it. The scripture says that when everything else crumbled around Jericho and fell, she didn't. God made her a fortress. Man, I don't think I said anything good this morning, but that was good. So, all right. Amen. So here's how we make a difference. Move past the fear of man. Don't be afraid to step out and go. Keep your eyes on the promise and not the process. Never give in to fear. And don't let your past dictate your future. Let's stand to our feet. What I want to do this morning is I just want us to come into agreement right where we are. I understand that some of you are in a place right now where you are saying, listen, I know this to be true, but I feel this, this, and this, and I I just want to come into agreement with you that those things are not going to stop you from making a difference. I believe with all of my heart that every person in this room was put on this earth to do something very specific, something very powerful, that you were fit into the body. If you consider yourself a believer, you placed your faith in Jesus, you were fit into the body and you were called to make a difference. But no matter what it is, the first step says yes, is yes, saying yes. Yes, I'm gonna allow you, Holy Spirit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out, I'm gonna do this. And maybe you need to push past fear, the fear of man, or maybe you need to identify what you're really passionate about. Maybe for some of you it starts this morning with signing up for the growth track and figuring out what you're an A-plus at. That's okay. Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you and encourage you as we close this, this time to just pray this simple prayer with me that goes like this. Jesus, I believe that what you did at Calvary's cross is sufficient. You paid the debt of my sin through the blood that you shed. Jesus, I receive that free gift. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Master. Scripture says if you pray that prayer, the Bible says that you have begun that process of knowing God personally and you've been welcomed into the family of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, as I look uh, just out across, Lord, the folks that are here, I, I thank you, God, that in this room, you called every one of us to make a difference, God. And I thank you, Lord, for the corporate agreement that we have in this place right now to say, God, we say yes to what it is you're calling us to do. We say yes. We say yes. Lord, we just break right now any kind of fear, the fear of failure, the fear of man, fear of stepping out. We just break that. In the name of Jesus, if that's you, just just kind of just make a place right in front of you. If you maybe you want to lift up your hands or just say, God, I just just break fear off of me right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I just pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak to every heart. Lord, that you would just release hope, the hope of a calling, the hope of your calling that you placed in them. Holy Spirit, just just 
Just begin to stir that up again right now in the name of Jesus. Just begin to stir up that calling right now in the name of Jesus. Father, there's, there's got to be something greater, Lord, than the things that we're looking at right now. So, Father, just begin to stir that up. And if that's your cry right now, just, just make, make an altar right where you are. Just lift your hands and say, just come, just stir that up. Just stir that up. Just stir that up. Listen, if what you're looking at right now is, is not more, then you've got to understand there is something you need to drink from, another cup you need to drink from, and just say, God, I just invite more of your presence in me. I just invite your presence to help me take a step, to help me understand who you've created me to be. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I just declare your blessings over every person. Father God, in the name of Jesus, for those who are, Lord, facing something physical in their body, Holy Spirit, come and touch be the healer right now in the name of Jesus, no matter what it is. If that's you, listen, I know this is a little unconventional right now, but just, if that's you, just put your hand wherever it is. If you're believing the Lord for somebody, listen, I'm doing this because there's agreement in the room. Holy Spirit, come and heal. Come and heal right now in the name of Jesus. Come and set minds free right now in the name of Jesus. Begin to break the torment over minds right now. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Father, For thank you for calling this house into the moor. Lord, I thank you that it's always, always been the vision, Lord, to bring this house into the moor, Lord. You're bringing it into more. It's always been in the moor, God. You're going to continue to bring it into the moor, the moor, the moor, the moor. Lord, every person here, Father, we thank you and we love you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, well, listen, we love you so much today. If you need prayer for anything, come on up to the altar. We'll have some folks that will be willing to pray for you. We love you. If you're not connected into a life group, make sure you do that. Or if you want to sign up for Growth Track, we look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Have a great week.